get it. Wednesday, April 24th, 2019. Born the Battle. Brought to you by the Department of Veterans Affairs. I am your host, Marine Corps veteran Tanner Iskra. Another great day in podcast land. I hope you guys had a great, uh, I guess, not week, past couple of days, because you did get to see, hopefully, our bonus episode that was released on Monday, covering the military and military spouse networking event, Burbiz, that was out, held at the MGM Grand at the National Harbor in D.C. Uh, pop it in there, check it out, listen to it, and let me know if you'd like to hear more content from more events like that. A place that we will be going is to the Mid-Atlantic Air Museum's 29th anniversary World War II weekend out there in Reading, Pennsylvania. Uh, they're going to have a lot of special guests there, uh, two of the Pearl Harbor survivors, um, an air show and an airdrop, uh, again, all in World War II garb. Uh, they're going to assault through a French town. Um, a lot of special guests out there. We got some Battle of the Bulge veterans. We got some Battle of the Atlantic, Iwo Jima, uh, someone, a, a, a veteran that was a part of General Patton's 3rd Army Division, Marines that survive uh, Okinawa and, and Peleau, and, and they're going to have some veterans that survive Normandy. Uh, overall, it's going to be a great event. Um, we are going to go and cover that for you, and I'm looking forward to getting interviews and bringing to you some of the panel discussions that are be going on there during that weekend. In addition to that, some of our other uh, producers here at the digital engagement team for the VA will be producing video content and some blogs and things like that from the event. So you're not going to feel left out. We're going to be bringing some great content to you after the June 7th, 8th and 9th. That is the World War II weekend at the Mid-Atlantic Air Museum in Reading, Pennsylvania. Got one news release for you today that is about the Mission Act. It says, for immediate release, VA's improvements to veteran community care under Mission Act on track for June 6 implementation. As the one-year anniversary of President Trump's signing of the VA, maintaining internal systems and strengthening integrated, maintaining internal systems and strengthening integrated outside networks, otherwise known as the Mission Act, mouthful, of 2018 approaches on June 6th, the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs is making significant strides in implementing major improvements to community care for veterans. So it goes on with a couple quotes and, and a couple things talking about um, some of the history of how the Mission Act came to be. And this is a key aspect of the Mission Act is the consolidation of VA's community care programs, which will make community care work better for veterans and their families, providers, and VA employees. When this transition is complete, the following will occur. Veterans will have more options for community care. Eligibility criteria for community care will be expanded, including new access standards. Scheduling appointments will be easier and care coordination between VA and community providers will be better. Eligible veterans will have access to a network of walk-in and urgent care facilities for minor injuries and illnesses. Um, and then the rest of this goes on, basically says that it is on track for a June 6 implementation. For more information, you can go to blogs.va.gov. I can tell you this. So I understand that this uh, news release is a very 10,000 foot, hey, we're on track view of what the Mission Act is. So I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to take what uh, our media relations team has put together in blogs on blogs.va.gov, and I will put them in the show notes at the bottom of my blog of this episode. So if you know, scroll down there, take a look, click on them, and hopefully it can answer more questions for you about the Mission Act. 
So next month houses Memorial Day weekend. And again, for us veterans, that's a huge month and a huge weekend to remember those that we have lost. And uh, for our National Cemetery Administration, it's a it's a very large weekend to remember those uh, to remember those heroes that they house. And from April 25th to May 22nd, the NCA is partnering with Carry the Load to honor veterans leading up to Memorial Day. Carry the Load's mission is to provide active ways to honor and celebrate our nation's heroes by connecting Americans to the sacrifices made by military, veterans, first responders, and their families. They will be hosting their annual National Relay. Uh, their National Relay is an awareness event which walks and cycles across the country, handing off an American flag every five miles for 32 consecutive days. The West Coast route begins in Seattle on April 25th and covers over 4,600 miles. The East Coast route is going to begin on April 29th in West Point, New York, and it covers over 3,000 miles. The Midwest route begins in Minneapolis, covering over 3,900 miles, and it will, that will start after my next podcast on May 3rd. All three routes will cover over 11,000 miles and will go through 26 VA national cemeteries in 17 states. Each national cemetery will unveil a commemorative plaque, a tribute to the fallen that honors veterans and Gold Star families. So if you want to know when Carrie Load is coming through your town, please look at blogs.va.gov. Look at this blog about this episode, and I will have those links at the bottom of the page. In addition, we are going to have the CEO of Carry the Load, Stephen Hawley, a Navy SEAL, on the show next episode, May 1st. And we're going to talk to him and we're going to dig deeper into Carry the Load, what their mission is, why they do it, some of the other things that they do. And we're also going to talk about Stephen Hawley and his transition and everything else that we do here at Born the Battle. So getting back to this week, this week's guest is a Marine veteran and U.S. Postal Inspector. Now, when we're talking about alphabet departments here in the D.C. Beltway, you know, the FBI, the CIA, the AFT, the DEA, the USPIS is not an acronym that is normally that normally comes up. Um, however, the U.S. Postal Inspection Service was founded almost 100 years prior to the FBI and almost 150 years before the CIA. Their mission is to support and protect the U.S. Postal Service, its employees, infrastructure, and customers by enforcing the laws that defend the nation's mail system from illegal or dangerous use. So we're going to learn more about that today. Today's guest is the first guest to reach out and ask to be on the show so he can get information out to veterans. The USPIS is currently in Operation Protect Veterans. It is an effort by the Postal Inspection Service to prevent crimes and scams within the mail system that are targeting the veteran population. And we're going to talk about that. In addition, he's an official Marine Corps historian in the Marine Corps Reserve. He is attached to the Marine Corps History Division, and he's tasked with going on deployments to record Marine Corps history in times of conflict. So without further ado, I bring to you Marine Corps veteran Carol Harris. I'm with the Postal Inspection Service, which is the law enforcement and security arm of the Postal Service. So it's it's almost like the Postal Service Police Force. It is. They're, they're, a portion of the Postal Inspection Service is uniformed police. Oh, okay. So you'll All see right. them in different uh, areas around the country. Okay. What is uh, What are some of the things they enforce? Well, there's over 200 different federal statutes that relate to the sanctity and security of American commerce as it flows through the Postal Service and the mail. That is what uh, what we're working to make sure 
is is flowing smoothly with the assuredness that's been there since the inception of the country. The Postal Service was started on July 26, 1775. The Inspection Service started America. Yeah, America, that's right. Started August 7th, 1775. So since the very beginning, it was Ben Franklin who started the Postal Service. They've known they need a security element to any type of commerce or communications. And that's why the inspection service is there. Okay. Very cool. So you um, you were at the Postal Service now. You were you were active duty in the Marine Corps. When did you join and why did you join? I joined the Marine Corps March 29th of 1990 Ooh. because I met a very cool Marine uh, on campus. I was in the Naval ROTC. I was raised by a sailor. My okay. father did 30 years in Navy. I went to school in Norfolk, Virginia. I was drawn to serve. Uh, had no intention of joining the Marine Corps. But I spent the summer working out with the Marine officer instructor okay. in Norfolk. Didn't know he was the Marine officer instructor, and he didn't know I was in the Naval ROTC. But we were challenging each other, pushing each other all summer in the gym. And then when school started, we saw each other in uniform. And my uh, immediate question was, I really like the values this person's putting forward sure. and the energy coming from him. I'm now going to be a Marine option. So I was drawn into the Marine Corps. Oh, wow. Just just from working out. What was his name? Jeff Coat. Major Jeff, Jeff Coat. Major Jeff Coat. That's awesome. Um, while you were in, who was one mentor or best friend? That you had uh, while you were in. Well, I can tell you, I, there are so many in the Marine Corps. Big characters, right? Sure. Big characters every direction. I will never forget Colonel Dave Johnson, uh, Lieutenant Colonel. He was the commander of a squadron I was in. And uh, the reason he stands out for me is very bold leadership. There's a lot of bold people in the Marine Corps. Yeah. But Lieutenant Colonel Johnson had... Uh, a bravery about him. And and I don't mean the I'm running into a hailstorm of bullets bravery. I mean the intestinal fortitude that comes with doing something that's unpopular, mm. but it's the right thing to do. And, and he empowered his Marines, and I was a young lieutenant at the time, uh, to, to, to pursue the right thing, even when it was unpopular and or painful, but with a long-term vision in mind. I he really inspired me. And I've reflected on being in his his command numerous times throughout my adult life and wanted to emulate that that high standard, the, those high values gotcha. that I saw him emulate and, and push out to us. So I'll never forget Colonel Johnson. I'm still in touch with him on social media. That's awesome. And it's fun to, it, that's the great thing about social media, right? I can follow these Marines that I served with, for, alongside, it's a great way to stay socially connected because those bonds are so powerful. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah. So what's your, uh, what's your favorite social media? What do you use most? Uh, uh, I'm on a handful uh, because of my day job in, in communications, but uh, probably Facebook as my, in my boys will tell you that, you know, that's the one for the old folks. And when they look at me, it's like they're looking at tales from the crypt. When when I breathe, it's like they see dust coming out of my lungs because uh, I'm considered an agent in their world. Back in the day, back in yeah. those MySpace, back in those MySpace days. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's awesome. So you were we, we talked about your a little bit of your military life. You are still currently a reservist? I am. I am uh, 29 years strong. I'm in my last year of service as we speak thankful to still wear, still wear the cloth of our nation, that uh, that strong sense of heritage. Yeah. When I walk onto the base down at Quantico, uh, I still feel it. 
it's an incredible and tangible value for, for me as an individual. So I'll do one more year and the Marine Corps and in its infinite wisdom will, will push me, uh, push me alongside to make room for, for future warriors. For that next generation, <laughs> that next generation of Instagram. Um, talk to me about the history division that is that what you do now as a reservist is it, that it is and it's a really unique unit within the marine corps um, i didn't even know it existed uh, i was uh, in a communications unit in the midwest mobilized with that unit in 03 to go to kuwait and do the surge to baghdad see i didn't know that unit mobilized i i as a marine that was stationed at quantico as a combat videographer i would go down to the history division yeah. to get some footage and get audio and pictures but i didn't know that that actually deployed yeah, deployed all over the world. You name it. You name the theaters. We've been there. Bosnia, Afghanistan, Iraq, you know, the the, the more recent ones. But the... Um, you personally, where did they send you? I was mobilized with a comm unit to go to Iraq. And when we got there, they didn't want the senior leadership. And by that time, I was already uh, a major. So okay. I find myself within a few weeks across in the line of departure and not wanting to go home wanting to be a part of that fight. Yeah. And they, they cut the staff off and they were just going to store us. And store you where? Well, we were in Kuwait at the time. That's where we were staging. So word huh. went out that there was some some capable staff yeah. that weren't going to cross the line and people started coming and it was like the draft. People were coming looking for people. That's how I learned about the history division. I had just completed grad school. I had uh, finished my first master's in business administration. Oh, wow. What were you doing before that? What was your MOS before that? A 6002. Um, I, I kept airframes running. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. And so you went that to the history division. Do, I did. Do Which a is draft in Kuwait. Through, through yeah, through the unwritten draft rules in Kuwait. And most of the, <laughs> most of the history division is PhDs. They... they they, they teach at universities, they write the official monographs. So uh, being a member of the history division with two master's degrees and quite a bit of experience, I'm considered the knuckle dragger there. Oh, wow. And I'm thankful for the opportunity to be with them and to serve with them. So I got drafted to, to support the history division. There weren't enough of them. It's a small unit. I uh, bet, yeah. Uh, I, don't, I didn't know any activity was there. I didn't know it was reserve reactive. All I saw were some old civilians working there. And there, there are. There are uh, so I, yeah, some civilian resources on the base that are the full-time staff. And then there was a reserve unit of field historians. And in the event of major conflict or continuing small conflicts, they will break the glass, deploy the historians into the field. And the advantage of it is we come from all different MOSs, walks of life, experiences, yeah. and our experience in the civilian world gives us unique perspectives. We embed in the units and we capture the operation. We capture what happens, the form and the flavor from the lowest private all the way up to the highest general. Belly to belly interviews, face to face. We do audio recordings. We capture the images, the sounds, the sights, and we create logs. We bring all of that back to Quantico yeah. at the end of the deployment. And it goes into the official Marine Corps archive where it can then be used as institutional knowledge to write official monographs or by other researchers or uh, people that are approved or vetted to have access to the files. So it's a it's a really rewarding experience to capture that because when you're with those Marines yeah. and uh, especially in my experience was 03. So the surge up was a pretty significant event in Marine Corps history. And Absolutely. To, to be part of that was uh, a real honor and to, to see the uh, 
you know, the heroic acts of these Marines as we were going, whether that be 1st Marine Division or 3rd uh, Marine Aircraft Wing. I was embedded with both elements. Huh. Um, incredibly rewarding, good stories. Uh, some of my best interviews were the young Marines as well as the senior Marines. And the young Marines are a little bit unfiltered. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Which the Marine Corps prides itself on. Yeah. Um, they will, uh, they'll tell you what they're thinking, what they're feeling. The, um, so would senior Marines. It was going to the archives. But you and, get a lot of top level from the senior Marines. I'm, uh, absolutely. Assume, you, you want to cover the whole perspective because yeah, you yep. could be in the same exact spot, yep. 20 feet left or right from someone and recall or see it with a, a, a different feel. Different lens. Yes. The the filter through which we're processing information, it varies wildly depending on who you are, where you're coming from yeah. and what your lay on the battlefield is. So that was, uh, that was also interesting to see because we, you know, what I did in 03 and what the historians still do now is when something's happening, they want to be there so that they can capture it. And it's not just uh, to get the oral histories, but it's also to capture the imagery and to, to understand it, yeah. to, to observe what's happening with the staff and with so, the Marines. So do you get trained at DINFOS too? Like is it the Defense Information School? Do they give you any kind of photography training, audio training? Like how do you get trained to do this? I, I love that question. No. <laughs> <laughs> but but we did, um, I, I made use of combat camera during my time. Good. Uh, I was able to uh, grab some combat camera assets when I uh, went to certain places. Not always. Some of the imagery that uh, I was able to capture was just me doing my best. It is with, what it is. It is what it is. And one of those, uh, one of the best images I ever caught was one of those types of moments uh, on a Kazavak flight. I flew a lot of casualty evacuation flights because that could get me to where the conflict was. Yeah. I traveled the battlefield hook or crook, hitching rides, showing up unexpected where the, the commands I would show up at had no expectation of my arrival in many instances. Because How this, was that received? Well, it, depending on how I approached, it was usually received well, but I had to go hat in hand in a humble manner. In, in some instances, it, rank matters, but really relationships matter more, especially in a dynamic kinetic environment. Absolutely. And um, most of the time it worked out pretty good for me, but uh, I would I would jump on the Kazavaks knowing that's where the action was. I would fly in, capture what I could, and um, and try to hook or crook back out. And, I, and same thing with convoys. So I was eating whatever MREs I could beg off of people, drinking water wherever I could, <laughs> sleeping on the ground wherever I could. <laughs> And uh, good adventure, really good adventure. Uh, but so the the Kazavaks would get me to the action. And one of the best images I ever caught was off the back ramp of a CH forty six. Yeah. Where I think we were five or six miles outside of Baghdad. We hadn't penetrated Baghdad yet, and uh, we we had done this many times. It was a the there was a pretty good fight that day. So we're loading up everybody for evacuation. Yeah. I just ran off the back of the ramp. I can see the fight on the highway we're we're down the highway a bit i can see the action and we're we're bringing the bodies on and i just actually they've been a lot of the times i was running down the back ramp with a weapon because of where we were at sure uh, but i actually pulled up a camera and snapped a photo that day and um when I came back, it got quite a bit of recognition. History division used it quite a bit because it was a good, it was a, I just got lucky. Uh -huh. I wasn't, I wasn't a Dimfos trained <laughs> combat camera. I got lucky on that photo. Oh, wow. So all of this, this history division journey is pretty much as a reservist. This is after you were active duty. 
Yeah. Yeah. So what, what prompted your end of service, like to leave active service? Sure. So I, I did a couple of tours of active. Uh, I knew I wanted to be a federal agent. And um, the way it uh, is set up to be a federal agent, you have to get in before age of 37. And I couldn't do a full Marine Corps career. Yeah. And do that. Yeah, so I had to. At but a I, minimum. I, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. as an officer, probably even 44, yeah. 41. Oh, I didn't commission until I was 22. Yeah. So, so that, that was, it would be out of the question if you were. It was out of the question. So my only option was to get out. I could completely leave the Marine Corps. Or I could go in the reserve. And I, I, I wanted to finish. And obviously, yeah. I'm still here 29 years. Uh, so I, I chose that option. And uh, I'm glad I did. I No regrets whatsoever. Left the Marine Corps. Uh, I did a tour with the Drug Enforcement Administration as a special agent. Uh-huh. I had an absolute wonderful adventure working narcotics cases around the Midwest, uh, following them all the way back to the Southwest border, all over the place. Oh, man. What years were those? I uh, did that 04 to 08. And Some pretty heavy years for narcotics. Every year is heavy year for narcotics, and that, <laughs> that hasn't changed. There will always be a demand for people to fill that void in their heart with something unhealthy and there'll be some that are susceptible to doing it so after working narcotics if you work narcotics three to five years it's uh, it's a lot of the it's a lot of the same things over and over it's it's wonderful valuable work Uh, and this is with the dea right this is with the dea being there for a while i'd done some cases with some postal inspectors i didn't even know what a postal inspector was yeah Uh, not many do no most people don't so (laughs) Uh, so I meet the postal inspectors and we we do some drug cases together and they told me about some of the other cases they were doing. Uh, it, one of them was they were, there was a, a retirement home where the staff had targeted some of the older Americans and they were stealing their money. And I thought, wow, that's sort of heartfelt, true victims yeah. that it, it that, that just pulled my heartstrings. Absolutely. And, Another postal inspector in the same office was working child exploitation cases. Mm. The inspection service, again, has over 200 federal statutes. So there's lots of opportunity, lots of different crimes in addition to the narcotics. Yeah. So having been there for a while, pulled my heartstrings and uh, the inspectors I was working with said, hey, Carol, the, they're hiring. So I came right over. It's the same paying benefits across the board wherever you're a federal agent, if you're a postal inspector, DEA, FBI. Is it, so are, they, it's, are they drafted? Let's go back to the draft. Are, they, is, are, are federal agents drafted out of like the same pool of like one school or do you have to go to certain schools? Like how, do you, how does one become a federal agent and sure. how do you filter into these different caveats, whether it be DEA or postal it, inspector? It's a great question. And right now uh, across the nation, uh, a lot of federal agencies are recruiting heavily to include the postal inspectors. Oh, wow. Um, and it, so the, to answer your question, they have federal law enforcement academies. Mm-hmm. So when I went into the DEA. Like the FBI Academy. And, yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, the but FBI Academy is at Quantico. The DEA Academy is at Quantico. Oh, wow. Uh, so I had to go through an academy there as well. And you have to show some some resilience, some grit, some mental toughness yeah. in these academies. They're going to test you. They're going to teach you federal law. Uh, and then, and of course, when you go to the field, you'll have uh, someone to help you as a training agent or officer until you're fully embedded. It's the same thing with the postal inspectors. Their, uh, their academy is here, uh, not far from here in Potomac, Maryland. Okay. It's a, it's a fully accredited law enforcement academy. You're going to learn firearms, officer survival, defensive tactics, surveillance, all the, all the traditional law enforcement techniques. So... It's what's important for any veteran to know that might be thinking about a career in federal law enforcement. 
is the the basic uh, requirements can vary slightly from organization to organization. Most of them will require okay. a bachelor's. Uh, and some of them are going to be looking for specialized skills, depending on what the investigative focus is. Okay. With the Postal Inspection Service, we have a wide array of laws we're enforcing. So a bachelor's is a minimal entry. Many of them come in with master's degrees. We're looking for specialized uh, language skills. We're also looking for experience. That experience could be as law enforcement. It could be uh, a certified public accountant. Uh, it could be IT skills. Yeah. A lot of our investigations are bathed in the art of navigating zeros and ones. Yeah. Uh, and that is in, that's increasingly more important. Deep so web, Deep web, dark web stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. It, just about any scammer scheme we can touch, we can get a nexus, and, and we're going to work that. We're going we're gonna to leverage that part uh, of the dark web. We want criminals to know that just because you're on the dark web doesn't mean you're anonymous. Yeah. We will go there, we will find you, and we're going to be your worst nightmare when we pull you out and shine a light on what you've done and bring you to court. America. <laughs> <laughs> love, I love the passion in your voice when you talk about it, because I can tell that it actually means something to you. That you, uh, you're, you're, So you're going after scammers, you're going after people in the Postal Service. What are some of the cases that, that you, you've seen come up and concerning veterans? Well, So, yeah, which was the... The impetus for my wanting to come and visit, right? Yeah. We have a campaign right now that we're doing called Operation Protect Veterans. We started it uh, November of 17. And what we want to do is we want to make sure that veterans are aware that they are being targeted specifically because of their veteran status. So as an example, why would a criminal want to do that when you first called me and you told me about your experience in the Marine Corps, Tanner. Yeah. I immediately felt an endearment towards your connection because we had some similar experience and some overlap, yeah. which lowered my guard. And that's an affinity that Marines will share. Well, that affinity also goes across the other services sure. and within those services, especially if you've done similar work. So criminals seek to leverage that affinity to remove barriers, lower people's guard, and then use it to advance scams and schemes. Veterans are targeted and literally, in some cases, it's been determined through studies twice as susceptible through these affinities to fall for scams and schemes. Add on top of that, someone who has been in combat maybe is struggling yeah. with uh, an adjustment or PTSD or other injuries. Maybe they're young, maybe they're older Americans and they're susceptible because when you age, you lose some of the ability to detect deception. Add all that together and you got a perfect storm to target veterans. That's what's happening. So we've learned through our studies, there's a handful of schemes that are going on, some of which relate directly to the Department of Veterans Affairs. And I'd like, like to what? share a couple. Yeah, absolutely, Show, share, absolutely. That's what the show's for. Absolutely. So. One of them is the VA loan scam. And basically, they'll approach a veteran and they'll, they'll offer him a loan with uh, incredibly unrealistic loan rates that make no sense. And then it's a scam to separate them from their money. But a lot of times, again, you can't detect deception. Yeah. They endear you. 
and they've got you and they're, they're off with your money. So that's that's one to be aware of. Another one what, is what are, what are the top? OK, before we get into that, give me some specifics on that VA loan scam. How are they going to approach you? How are they going to get to you? What, what, what are the, so they give you an, an incredible loan offer. Right. Uh, how can I detect that this is uh, a scam versus, hey, this might be legit? Like, is it is there are there some tells? Yes. So they vary on how they approach. It depends. They use all different ways and mechanisms. They'll, they'll use any type of connection they can get. They'll use the internet. They'll use email. They'll use phone calls. They'll use direct marketing mail. Yeah. We've seen all of that used. So you're going to want to vet any organization you're interacting with to make sure they're who they say they are. And there's multiple ways that you can vet these organizations. You can check with um, National Foundation for Credit and Counseling. But it's a better business bureau related organization. Okay. And uh, they, they can look that up online or they can call. It's an 800 number. It's 800 388 2227. Okay. That's a way to vet. Okay. Right there, regardless of which. A little which, better than Google. A little bit. You can use Google to get to that, but I'm gotcha. just giving it to them. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. But, so, any way, manner, shape, or form that someone can be approached, they may approach them. Okay. And they'll just wrap the scheme in some different verbiage. And sometimes it's just a one-off variant. It, it depends. Mm. So loan scams is one. So they're going to want to vet. Another one is updating your Veterans Administration file scam. They'll, they'll reach out and offer to update your file and seek to charge you money for that. And, we, and, and you and I both know, as we're sitting here in D.C. now, that the Veterans Administration is not going to charge you to update your Veterans Administration Absolutely file. Absolutely not. But if you're new to the game and you, you maybe you just transitioned, you, you, it's possible you may not know this. Yeah. So that's something that uh, they're getting the veterans with. Wow. A secret benefit scam. This one is enticing someone with the possibility that they rate something special. And in some cases, depending on where you are in your walk of life, you may want to believe it. So what they're going to do with that is they're going to try to get fees from you or try to get your personal information. And if they can get either the money or the personal information, then they can do things with the PII. They're trying to clean out at that point. They can sell it off on the dark web. They can use it for credit. There's all sorts of things that can happen there. And of course, when they go there, that's where we come into play. Because if you've touched the mail, whether that's it starts digital, but eventually it ends up physical. And that's where a postal inspector comes in. Okay. Because eventually you need to move something of value, whether that's a physical good or a check. And they think they're anonymous on the dark web, but the reality is they're not because we're consistently monitoring. <laughs> we're out there. Gotcha. And we've got a hunting license and it's hunting season. <laughs> and there's plenty of them. But I would much rather prevent a veteran Absolutely. from being a victim than to go solve the crime. Absolutely. Because we know we can't arrest our way out of the problem. Yeah. We'd rather do prevention, which is the, the impetus for the campaign for Operation Protect Veterans. You're so. trying to make, yeah, you're trying to let, let veterans be aware. That's great. Um, yeah. So they're, they're after your personal information. They're after, your, they're after uh, again, physical money that you send to them. But eventually, someday, you know, you might end up with a, a you know, if you're, if you end up getting into one of these scams, you might get a credit card statement for like $10,000 or something like that. That's, that's kind of what right. they're going after. You, you may not even find out until you pull your credit report. And that's another good thing for vets to know. There are three credit reporting agencies, and you can pull your credit report for free once a year from every one of those. 
So if you space that out over the year, you can get multiple hits and you can find out exactly what's happening with your credit. That's just whether you're a veteran or not. That's a healthy thing to do. Pull your credit report and look and see what's going on. Has someone pulled a line of credit on you? That's what you want to know. Yeah. So, so you're looking at uh, that's Experian. What are the other two? TransUnion, Experian. Oh, I'm going to forget the other one. But no there, the, you, Google will well, save. How you. about this? We'll put, it, <laughs> we'll put it in the show notes afterwards. We'll hey at, when, I, at the end of every episode when we do a blog, mm-hmm. I, I put show notes for additional links here, 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 here. So I'll make sure that. Yeah, and I can get it to you. Absolutely. There's a cu- there's a couple other things I can highlight that are absolutely that are schemes that uh, that we've seen. One's pension poaching, and with that. Some veterans that have served will rate uh, a pension from the Department of Veterans Affairs. And the, the those rates, as the, the veterans will know out there, they can vary from a couple hundred dollars to more, depending on the significance of what whatever that pension's related to. Yeah. Uh, there are scammers that will approach and offer a lump sum to the veteran which can sound really attractive. Hey, I'm going to give you 50 grand, 100 grand now, and I'll take the rights to all future income off your pension. Now, usually what's going to happen there is the veterans that they're targeting, sometimes they don't have sophisticated financial knowledge. They won't realize the income stream value for the future versus what they're being offered, and they'll get scammed out of the rights to their future pension. So that's a scam to watch out for. Is that legal once you're fund out, or is that something that you guys target? Like, If they sign the rights over, is it pretty much a done deal, or is it something that you can still prosecute? Everything is depends on the nuance of the situation. So I can't give you a canned answer uh, depending on exactly how it it goes down. But I can tell you that the preponderance of what we've seen is unethical and not in the interest of the veteran. Good. It's when someone's approaching you and they're offering you something, it seems like an unrealistic value. You got to ask yourself what's in it for this person. What's their drive? What's their motivation? Absolutely. And uh, again, with some of the veterans, depending on what's happened to them, their ability to detect the deception and, um, and to to see the sinister is reduced through the affinity, which is why they're targeting these veterans at twice the rate. And some people have lost some money. So we, we want to avoid that. That's why we highlight it. And we point it out to the, to the veterans. So, Good. Those are the big ones that uh, are to watch out for. But there are so many other variants of schemes that don't necessarily have to be a veteran specific hmm. that could impact someone that, that is a veteran or someone that a veteran loves or cares about, whether that's a family member, a neighbor, someone in their community. So we do everything we can to include our Operation Protect Veterans to highlight these scams, these schemes to make sure the public is aware of them so that they have a greater resistance to them. We believe the forewarned is forearmed and that, you know, this ounce of prevention is way better than letting them, you know, fall victim and then we swoop in and we enforce the law. Yeah. I would love to have no no criminals to arrest. Um, that's never going to happen. There'll always be a criminal to arrest. <laughs> but we're we're doing our best. It's a multi-pronged effort. We want to we want to provide the prevention and yes, we're going to go out and we're going to target these criminals and we're going to arrest them. We're going to see they get their day in court. Good. Good. Is there anything that you learned in service that you use in your job today as a postal inspector? Yeah. Never give up. Keep, keep getting after it every day. And in the Marine Corps, uh, that's something that you learn early on. You come in, you're immediately punished with uh, (laughs) an incredible barrage 
of just too much to do, do it all now, you're in pain, you're uncomfortable, you could be cold, wet, hungry, whatever, you name it. Those things are going to happen to you and you're going to have to mentally process and you're going to have to focus on the art of the possible and what you can do and you're going to have to work that to the fullest of your ability. That's something that will live with me forever. I, I think the Marine Corps has conditioned, I don't know, but just me personally, it's conditioned where if I am comfortable, I need to be uncomfortable. Does that make sense? I'm not happy if I'm comfortable. Yeah. My comfort zone is uncomfortable. I want, because that is where I know I'm having the adventure. Yeah. And it's the adventure that brings me joy. Being on the couch is not homeostasis. That's not happiness. Being in the gym, learning something new, chasing down a criminal, meeting someone at the Department of Veteran Affairs to right. get the message out to veterans. Those are the happy moments in life. So it's just... Just keep engaging. There is always another mountaintop. Every time I crest a mountain, I see the next mountaintop. And I want to go get after that mountain. <laughs> Motivation. <laughs> yeah. Here on Born the Battle. So obviously you had a, I mean, we talked about you leaving the service and we talked about your transition. It seemed to be pretty smooth. How, you know, do you have any advice for veterans that are looking, that are looking at that transition? Uh, I can speak through the filter of my own experience. Uh, I knew I wanted to be a federal agent, and so I looked at government jobs. This is something I will encourage any veteran who's transitioning to consider. For me personally, I'm not chasing dollars in life. I'm not a, a wealthy person, but I feel like I have a, a comfortable uh, income. Yeah. And so for me, it was the adventure I was chasing. That's why I wanted to be a federal agent. I also wanted to continue that intangible reward of feeling like I was part of something larger than myself, an organization that served the community that I could take a pride in. And hence, that's why I chose this, the, the work environments I've been in. Yeah. And I wouldn't look back. I would encourage anyone who's considering a transition out, whether that's after a full 20 or 30 year career, or just they did a, a tour and they're getting out to consider serving in the government. I'll be honest. I When I first got out, I didn't want to consider that at all. I wanted to be as far away from the government as possible. I wanted to, I wanted to you know, I said, okay, I had tasted that life. Yeah. Um, I enjoyed it. It was good adventure. Now I want to go see what the private sector is all about because I never, never had anything to do with the private sure. sector. But I did realize eventually as I was in the private sector, I was trying to mentor Marines. I was trying to bring them in. I was trying to help them with their transition. I go, what am I doing? Um, yeah. Uh, so, you know, absolutely. I think the government, the federal government, if you're, if you're looking for that camaraderie, uh, it, there's, there's pockets of it in the federal government that you can find, you know, that's really, it, it's there and depending on your individual outlook. I mean, everyone's form or flavor of service varies with them. Absolutely. The, uh, the journey I had wouldn't undo a thing. Even, even sometimes when I've I've run into walls and, yeah. and, and gone directions I, I never would have predicted. I wouldn't undo a thing. So that's what that's I would encourage. you who you are, you know, at the end of the day. So Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. The, uh, and that's within the Marines and outside of the Marines are still in the reserves. They're serving as a historian. Yeah. What an honor. Never didn't know what could happen until right before we went into Baghdad. Can, can anybody, any civilian or anybody, can they access any of the stuff that the History Vision has produced? 
So there's a vetting process. Yeah. There, there could be some sensitivity. So not just anyone can walk off the street. It's usually going to be researchers or um, the, the students at the command and staff college, the Marine Corps War College. Uh, of course, they can access those files. What about files. journalists? D- depending on what they're looking to do, they'll have to... There's a vetting process. There's a vetting process. They would have to show what they're looking to do. And journalists have gone in and and non-military affiliated uh, writers and researchers have accessed and they've written great stories and and told the stories of our combatants. Yeah. So, yeah. Or people writing books or stuff like that. Absolutely. Where can they go to go? look for that information to how to start that vetting process if they want to go down that journey they can if if they look up the marine corps university online they can go and they can read all about the university and of course the the history division has a uh a web page within that and they're they're also on social media are they you can follow and they they put out interesting uh tidbits on occasion they're the the history of the marine corps is very colorful absolutely and so some of the the things that they'll share uh, even for someone you know, almost 30 years, I get surprised sometimes by some of the things they'll pull out. So the, the, it's such a they depth. Like, they do like this day in history. Check this out. Random, they, random factoid. They, it's, it's not every day, but they yeah. do put out some things. That's it, good. That's good. And as far as the postal inspector, where can where can people go to find more information on on that aspect of your life? Yeah. So to, if someone's interested in being a federal agent, I would encourage them to to consider the Postal Inspection Service. They can go to USPIS.gov, United States Postal Inspection Service.gov, and uh, they can read about employment with yeah. the Postal Inspection Service. We have postal police officers that are uniformed. We have professional, technical, and administrative employees, general analysts, intelligence analysts. Every type of work you can imagine. We have our own forensic lab not far from here in Northern Virginia. Uh, we have, of course, similar to what I've done as a postal inspector, which is the the investigative arm where we look to illuminate what the criminals have done, fully identify the criminal conspiracies and make sure that they all get confronted, corralled up and they get their day in court, Good. which is also another great adventure. So all on the web and available for anyone to go look at. Quick recollection, we had seized around a half million and... Um, I had a couple agents with me. I'm getting out of a car in downtown Indianapolis. I'll never forget it because I've got a bag with what I know is a half million dollars in it. Oh, wow. And as I get out of the car, uh, uh, a homeless man comes right up to me and looks me right in the eye and he says, hey, can you spare a buck? (laughs) 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 I just remember thinking to myself, oh, my gosh. If you only know. Oh, my gosh. It was a bad guy's money. I would love to have just handed him the bag. Of course, I couldn't. I said, oh, yeah, "I'm sorry. I, yeah, I can't spare a dollar." Oh man, that's but, that's tough. That, like, that, if, I could, if I could only, you know, the, the irony knew, of that one. If you only knew. During your transition out, did you utilize any services from the, the Veterans Affairs, VHA I, or VBA or uh, VA Home Loans or anything like I that? I did. I did, and I, I'm real. I'm real thankful for what the Department of Veterans Affairs has done for me. Um, I used the Veteran Hospital Administration. I've had I've, a series of surgeries done yeah. that um, at the time they were doing them on me, they were cutting edge and the VA was pioneering it. And I was able to utilize that service. And, uh, and obviously I'm here. I'm still in the Marine Corps. I'm a federal agent. I'm healthy. And uh, it's worked. And I'm super thankful for that. That's great. Um, the options 
back in the day before the VA had started doing this cutting edge procedure were not very good options. <laughs> and um, at the time, you they keep offered your leg or you know, it goes <laughs> <Yeah>. away. <laughs> what they what they offered and what they were able to do for me has has given me a life that I didn't think was uh, necessarily going to be possible at the time. Oh wow! So super thankful for what the hospital administration has done for me there and uh, continued to uh, get checked on on occasion here at the, the local DC VA. So thankful for that. The, the home loan program, my first home, uh, I got my loan uh, with the VA that helped me along. I a young Marine, didn't yeah. have uh, any money really. Yeah. And uh, they helped me get out the gate and start building a, a, a nest egg to establish a, a life moving forward. That's great. So. Uh, I've appreciated that. Also, just the the knowledge, the the data that the Veterans Administration has has gathered over the years yeah. is pretty immense. A lot of people don't think about the the innovations and the data that that has been gathered through all the work that this department's done. But it's a lot of good information uh, for whether that be for your your health or in other areas of life. So super thankful for that and. Uh, have used those resources online. And the other thing, when I when I went to contact Veterans Affairs about Operation Protect Veterans, I looked online and I discovered your podcast. I thought, what a what a wonderful way to message, connect veterans, and and share good stories of resiliency or how we can help each other. With Appreciate with this that. visit, you and I are doing just being another caveat to it. Yeah. So I am I'm thankful for what the the Office of Public Affairs is doing here to spread the word. I appreciate having another listener. You know, yeah. that's great. Um, <laughs> Previous episodes, I've talked about the VA home loan, and I'm currently in my uh, my second one. I bought I bought my first house when I first got out in Charlotte, and that was literally a year ago. And then I decided to move up here for this job, and I did not know that the VA home loan was had a set price based on a region. So I'm actually able to still take advantage of the VA home loan program yeah. because I didn't meet that max dollar amount. So I'm renting the house out in Charlotte. And I'm still able to do another VA home loan for my current residence here. So uh, I am personally going through that myself, and and I'll be sharing that journey along in the podcast as well. When I did my transition out and I went through the separation course and I started to learn, I had no idea, right? I've been a Marine for six years. I I go to go to grad school, get out and go get my my next job. I had no idea. Yeah. It, 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 it's a little bit overwhelming, actually, when you go and you look at all the benefits that are there. Yeah, absolutely. Which is why some of the scams and schemes can happen, because people can prey on that. Hey, I'll shepherd you through this. Just trust me. Huh. And that's that's a red flag. So, Gotcha. Carol, is there anything that I haven't asked that you think it'd be important to share, whether it be from your service or from uh, your current role as a postal inspector? Uh, the uh, As far as the... The Postal Inspection Service, uh, I appreciate you taking the messaging and what we have to share to warn veterans and 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 letting me share those those scams and schemes so that absolutely so that your listeners and and the people that your listeners know about and love and care about in their communities are less acceptable. So that that would be one thing. It's just a call to action for your listeners. Yeah. If, if you've endured listening to, to me share these stories for this long, you've gotten a healthy dose of watch out for these scams and schemes. And you've been told where you can go. You can read about them yeah. at USPIS.gov and about the, uh, 
how you can check your credit and just to be aware. So I would encourage just a call to action for your listeners to, to take that message, to be ready and to share it with someone they think might be susceptible to warn them because there's someone that they're going to care about that needs to know. And I just want them to pause and reflect on it. And the other thing is for those are, if you're looking for uh, a great career for those veterans getting out, the government service is an option and it's been incredibly rewarding for me. You can have a family, you can have a good life. And depending on where you might want to go, you can get the incredible rewards that you might've felt that, that strong pride and belonging you felt in the military. You can feel that as a civil servant. I feel it as a postal inspector. There's not a day I don't get out of bed, my feet don't hit the ground, the devil himself doesn't go, oh no, he's up again, what's he gonna do today in the postal inspection service? Because we're bringing it and it feels good, just like it does when I put on the Marine uniform. So I would encourage them to consider government service. Maybe someone else can feel that same reward I do Mm. uh, anywhere else in the government. Certainly the postal inspectors is a unique place to do it. It's, I like to think of them as, as humble agents of virtue because most people don't know about our organization. Yeah. So they don't have a clue. So it's not like you would take this job so that you could be recognized at a cocktail party because people don't get it. They don't. Generally speaking, people aren't familiar with us. CIA agent, FBI, postal inspection. Exactly. Yeah. But if you want to do it because you care about people and you want to make sure that criminals get their day in court and that you protect people in your community, the postal inspectors could be for you. And that's that's how it's been for me. It's really great. So. That's really great. Because like I said, uh I have a bleeding heart. I personally have a bleeding heart for the elderly. It seems like your organization probably protects the elderly more than I know any other organization that I would know. It's a pillar of our external messaging. We're heavily focused on it. Our chief participates with the Elder Justice Coordinating Council. We have put a ton of energy into it. Something I didn't share that I should have is for the past four years, we have had a crime prevention campaign called The Inspectors, which is basically a public service announcement that airs on CBS on Saturday mornings. Oh, wow. It's a TV show. What we did was we took our case files and we wrote those into a a family-friendly story. So it's not going to have... Um, the violence and the explosions. It's not going to have that gratuitous vulgarity that you'll get on, you know, nighttime TV because that's not what it's about. It's about protecting people. It's on Saturday mornings in the education information block. It's been there for four years in many markets, major metros, number one in its time slot, reaching over 1.2 to 1.3 million people every Saturday. Our organization did that. It's called what again? It's called The Inspectors. The Inspector. It's a TV show. CBS, Saturday mornings. CBS, Saturday mornings, depending on where you're at, 10, 10.30, and uh, family-friendly. Noted. It's a it's a crime case wrapped into a family-friendly story, and at the end of it, the chief postal inspector provides a, a summary message to tell you what crime you just saw and what you can do to protect others. Again, call to action. So... That's, uh, that's an example of government being innovative, sort yeah. of like this podcast here is an innovative way to message. That's another example of our innovation. And a lot of those scams and schemes that we've highlighted on that show are related to things that, well, we've done veteran-specific shows, and we've done shows that are targeting uh, older Americans as well. Again, as we age, we become, in some cases, more susceptible because yeah. we lose our ability in some cases, to detect the deception. So 
thanks for giving me a prompt to reemphasize that and highlight that show. The, the staff I work with, I am so thankful for them. They, they did the show. I showed up in the, the communication shop after they'd already established it. Yeah. I just got the benefit of being able to tell the story of the good work they did. That is going to echo on for years beyond our time here yeah. as a, a hallmark element of what the inspection service has done and a great way to keep Americans safe from criminals. I chose to be an outreach worker because of the fact that I've been there. I know what it is to be homeless. When I utilized my VI bill to get my house, that was like the biggest thing that ever happened to me in my whole life because they helped me get a piece of the American dream. Choose VA today. For more information, visit va.gov. want to thank Carol for coming on the show and explaining to us what Operation Protect Veterans is. Uh, for more information on Operation Protect Veterans or on the USPIS, postalinspectors.uspis.gov. And you can always find them on their social media channels. They have a Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And don't forget they have a show, The Inspectors, Saturday mornings on CBS. As for the Marine Corps History Division, you can find them at www.usmcu.edu forward slash research forward slash history hyphen division. This week's veteran of the week is Army veteran Ellen Ainsworth. Ellen served during World War II from 1942 to 1944. She was born in Glenwood City, Wisconsin. She graduated from the Minneapolis I think it's pronounced Idle Hospital School of Nursing in 1941 and joined the Army Nurse Corps in March of 1942. Her first duty station was at Camp Chaffee, Arkansas, until 1943, when she was reassigned to the 56th Evacuation Hospital at Fort Sam Houston. The unit was deployed to Tunisia before being relocated to Anzio, Italy. On February 10, 1944, the Battle of Anzio reached the hospital where Ellen was on duty, and she sustained severe wounds from artillery fire. Ellen remained calm and began to move her patients to safety. Sadly, she died six days later due to her injuries and was buried at the Sicily American Cemetery in Italy. For her courageous service, Ellen was awarded the Silver Star, the Purple Heart, the American Campaign Medal, the Europe-Africa Middle East Campaign, and the World War II Victory Medal. We honor your service, Ellen. That's it for this episode of Born the Battle. Hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please email me and let me know at podcast at va.gov. Also, if you didn't like it, let me know. Uh, or if you have a question, reach out. Um, I'd like to read it on the air and, and make sure you're not the only one that gets the answer to it. Again, this is your show and I always want to make it better. Also, you can reach us on our blogs by leaving a comment at blogs.va.gov on any one of the podcast blogs. And you can always find the Department of Veterans Affairs on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, DEPT Veteran Affairs, U.S. Department of Veteran Affairs. You can always find us with that blue check mark. Thank you again for listening, and we will see you next week.